considered by scholars to be the first of the four Gospels to be written. And today's reading is from Mark chapter 12. The chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had all been questioning Jesus' authority and testing him with all sorts of queries to try to trap him or trip him up with no success. And this time, it was one of the scribes. So here, Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and beside him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Reverend Karen. Well, many years ago, when I was a brand new pastor, fresh out of seminary, still wet behind the ears, I got a phone call one day. The woman on the other end of the line said, Pastor, you don't know me. My name is Shirley. I'm one of your parishioners. I don't get into worship very often, but I would love to talk to a pastor. Uh, I was hoping that maybe you could make a little bit of time and stop by my place sometime in the next few days. And so I did. A couple days later, I found myself sitting in Shirley's living room, and we made a little bit of small talk, and then Shirley told me her story. She said, I used to be in worship every Sunday. I even used to sing in the choir, she said. But then 10 years ago, one day I was driving home from work when a car crossed the center line and crashed into me head on. She said, the entire left side of my body was crushed. I spent seven weeks in a coma. I spent four months in the hospital. And then I went through two years of physical therapy and rehabilitation. And the doctors had to put me together the same way they did with the $6 million man. She said, I have titanium hips and titanium knees. I have donor heels. I have donor shoulders. I have donor leg bones. I have a donor jawbone. I'm completely blind in my left eye, she said, and I don't get out of the house very much anymore. I can walk with a cane, she said, but it's very painful. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is just barely holding together, and so that's why you won't see me in worship very often. That's what Shirley told me there in her living room. And then she said, but that's not what I wanted to talk to you about today. 
She said, I brought you here today because there's a question I want to ask you. It's a question that I have been wanting to ask a pastor for 10 years now. She said, during the last 10 years, there have been so many moments when a doctor looked at me and said, Shirley, it is a miracle that you are still alive. There have been so many people in the last 10 years who shook their heads and said, Shirley, you should have died in the car that day. She said, I believe it. I believe that I am a miracle. I believe that, that God intervened, that God acted in a powerful way, and that that is why I'm here talking to you today, she said. And for the last 10 years, I have had this sense, I have had this, this idea that God must have some great purpose for my life to intervene, to act in such a powerful way. God must have kept me alive for a reason, she said. And for 10 years now, I have been trying to figure out what my reason is. Why is it that God kept me? me alive. What is it that God wants me to do, she said, and I haven't been able to figure it out. And so I figured, well, I'll ask the pastor. And so she said, pastor, can you tell me how will I know what my purpose is? How can I know what is God's will for my life? Why, she said, why am I still alive? Why am I still here? I wish I could tell you I had a really good answer to that question all lined up. I wish I could tell you that, that all of those years of seminary had prepared me for that conversation. I wish I could tell you that a lifetime of praying, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, had prepared me for that moment when somebody looked me in the eyes and said, how do I know what is God's will? But the truth is, I was tongue-tied in that moment. The truth is, I was not ready for that question. Here I was a brand new baby pastor, fresh out of seminary, wet behind the ears. And here was this woman who had been walking with Jesus and singing in the choir and praying for decades before I was even born. Here was this woman who had walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Here was this woman who had experienced pain and healing beyond anything I could imagine. And she was asking me about God's will. She was asking me, how do I know what is God's purpose for my life? She was asking me, What's the meaning of life? I was not ready to give her a good answer in that moment. I felt overwhelmed and I didn't know what to say. I was not ready. I did not feel prepared to answer that question. Jesus was ready. Jesus was prepared when he got that question. In today's gospel reading, we pick up the story of Jesus at a moment late in his ministry. At this point in his ministry, Jesus has attracted, Jesus has gathered a, a huge crowd of followers and disciples, but Jesus has also made some powerful enemies. And Jesus has this habit of eating with sinners and walking with tax collectors, and wrapping his arms around unclean people. And all of these things have made the religious leaders very nervous. They have become less and less comfortable with the things that Jesus is teaching. They are less and less comfortable with the things that Jesus is doing. And finally, the religious leaders decide enough is enough. We have to do something. We have to stop this. We have to drive a wedge between Jesus and the people before all of this gets out of hand. And so the religious leaders come up with a plan. They start showing up at Jesus' gigs. 
They start showing up everywhere Jesus has a crowd and he's teaching people and they start heckling Jesus from the crowd. Some days it gets so that Jesus can hardly get a word in edgewise. They shout and they interrupt. And as we pick up the story today in the Gospel of Mark, we find Jesus at the end of one of these particularly exhausting days of ministry. All day long, Jesus has been trying to teach the crowds about the kingdom of God, but all day long, these hecklers, these religious leaders in the crowd have been shouting questions at Jesus, trying to trip him up, trying to make him look foolish in front of the crowds. And some of the questions were really clever questions. One person shouted out, Jesus, is it lawful for a good and faithful Jew to pay taxes to the emperor? That was a tricky question. Because if Jesus says, yes, we ought to pay our taxes, Jesus is going to make the people very angry because the people don't like the emperor and they don't like paying taxes. But if Jesus says, no, don't pay your taxes, he's going to make the Romans angry and Jesus could be arrested and accused of treason and fomenting rebellion. But Jesus takes that question in stride. He just waves it away and he says, give to God what belongs to God and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And as the day gets on, And as they ask question after question and they become more and more frustrated that they can't trip up Jesus, the questions get sillier and sillier. One person shouts at Jesus, Jesus, let's say there's a woman. And this woman gets married, but then her husband dies. And so she gets married again, but that husband dies. And so she gets married again and over and over. She keeps getting married, but her husbands keep dying so that this woman finally has been married seven times to seven different men. Now tell us, Jesus, when God raises everybody from the dead, whose wife is that woman going to be? And Jesus sighs. And he says, what a foolish question. He says, don't you know that when people take their marriage vows, they say, till death do us part. In the resurrection, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. When the resurrection comes, that woman will be nobody's wife, Jesus says. All day long, they try to trip Jesus up with their questions. And all day long, Jesus sighs and shakes his head and waves them away with a hand. He easily answers every question they ask. And as the people have been asking their questions of Jesus all day long, there is one person who has been paying particularly close attention. In the crowds that day, there was a scribe. Back in the time of Jesus, scribes were some of the most influential and respected members of the community. Every community had a scribe. Every village needed a scribe. Now, scribes were religious experts. Scribes spent all day long studying the scripture and making copies of the scripture one letter at a time. The scribes knew their Bible forwards and backwards. So if you had a question about God, if you had a question about the Bible, the first person you would go to was your local scribe. But the scribes weren't just religious experts. They were also experts in the law. And so if you were going to enter into a business agreement or if you wanted to purchase some property, you would go to the scribe and you would have the scribe draw up the contract and make sure that everything was legal and above board. So scribes were sort of like theology professors and the county clerk all rolled into one. They were among the most important and respected people in any community. And all day long, this scribe has been listening to Jesus and he has found within himself a growing respect for this carpenter from Galilee. He is impressed by the way, Jesus keeps his cool as people keep firing these questions in his direction. He's impressed with the answers that Jesus gives. He's impressed with the wisdom and the insight of Jesus' teaching. And finally, the scribe decides that he wants to ask a question too. And so he raises his hand 
and a hush comes over the crowd. Even the religious leaders stop in their heckling. They look at this scribe with his hand in the air and they say, this is it, here we go. If anybody's going to be able to stump Jesus, this is the guy. And all eyes turn to the scribe as he asks Jesus his question. And the scribe surprises the people by asking Jesus a straightforward and honest question. Maybe the very first straightforward and honest question that anybody has asked Jesus all day long. The scribe looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus Which would you say is the first among all of God's commandments? Which would you say is the greatest commandment? When you consider all of the words that God has spoken, when you consider all of the commandments that God has given us, what is the one commandment that holds them all together? What is the one commandment we could not do without? In other words, the scribe says, Jesus, what is our purpose? What is God's will for us? What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? And everyone turns and looks at Jesus. And without hesitation, Jesus says, The first and the greatest commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second greatest commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe slowly nods his head. And he says, that is a good answer. Jesus, I believe you are correct. Teacher, rabbi, I believe that you have given the correct answer to that question. As far as I am concerned, nothing we do in this world, none of the songs that we sing, none of the prayers that we pray, none of the sacrifices we make in worship to God, nothing we do in this world is more important than loving God and loving our neighbors. I believe I believe you are correct. And the gospel tells us that after that moment, nobody dared to heckle Jesus. Jesus was ready. He was prepared to answer that question. Me, I had to muddle my way through. So as I'm sitting there in Shirley's living room trying to think of a way to answer her question, I start stalling for time by asking her questions about herself. I say, Shirley, so so you don't leave the house very often. What do you do? How do you pass the time day after day? And Shirley said, well, you know, I do the things that I can do. She said, I'm I'm able to knit. My hands work fine. And so I spend a lot of time knitting. Mostly I knit caps. And then I send them over to the food pantry and they give them to the children in the winter. And she said, I spend a lot of time on the phone. My children are all over the place, but they call me almost every day. And it seems like they're always in some kind of a mess or another, and they want my wisdom, but I can't give them any good advice because I don't have a lot of wisdom to share. And so mostly I just listen while they talk and and tell me their stories. And she said, I spend a lot of time praying. I pray for my church, even though I can't go there very often, and I pray for people who are in need of healing the way that I was in need of healing, and I pray for peace to finally come into this world. And as Shirley was talking and telling me about all of the things that she did there in her living room, I suddenly had a thought, and I stopped her, and I said, Shirley, I've had a thought. I said, what if... What if this is the thing that God kept you alive for? What if you are already doing the things that God has called you to do? What if knitting caps and and bearing your children's burdens and praying for the church and the world, what if that is God's will, God's purpose for your life? I thought it was a pretty good answer that I gave Shirley, but Shirley didn't agree. She wrinkled up her nose and she said, I don't know, Pastor. She said, that just doesn't seem like very much. 
She said, I've always had this idea that for God to intervene and act in such a powerful way, God must have something really big and important in, my, in mind for my life. There must be something great and monumental that God wants me to do. And I wish I could tell you that before I left that day, I changed her mind, that I had convinced Shirley she was already doing exactly everything that God had called her and created her to do. But I don't think I did. I'm pretty sure that when I left that day, Shirley was still convinced that at some moment in her life, she was going to do some obviously monumental and important and heroic thing, and then everything would make sense, and she would say, aha, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why God rescued me from that crash. I wish I could tell you I changed her mind, but I don't think think I did. But the more I see and the longer I live, the more convinced I am that I gave Shirley a pretty good answer that day. And the longer I live and the more I see, the more convinced I am that this is what it's about, knitting caps, bearing each other's burdens, praying and working for justice and peace. This is God's will for our lives, and this is God's will for the world. The longer I live and the more I see, the more convinced I am that God's will is summed up in these two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The longer I live and the more I see, the more convinced I am, the more I believe that there is no other commandment greater than these. Let's pray. God, we pray that in those moments when we come to you searching out your will for our lives, in those moments when we fall on our knees, in those moments when we reach out in prayer and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and then we ask the obvious follow-up question, God, what is thy will? Help us to remember that your will for us, every moment of every day, for as long as we have breath, for as long as we remain in this world, is simply to love you and to love one another in the way that Jesus taught us. God, we pray that you would help us to see, help us to feel that just that is enough. In Jesus we pray. Amen.